Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. God bless you and thank you for joining us. Today we are in Romans and we are in Romans chapter 13, continuing to move forward and we will be looking at verses 8 through 10 today. So I'd like to read Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Today, I want us to move into this next part of what Paul is speaking about. This is in that section, as we talked about, his final section of the book of Romans, chapters 12 through 16, where he has laid the foundation for the great treatise on the gospel, first and foremost, that all people are sinners and in need of salvation. Everybody, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, can be saved. But you stand guilty before a holy God until you are saved. And the way you're saved is that you believe in Jesus Christ. You accept the fact that you are a guilty sinner before him, before God. You, you accept the fact that you are a guilty sinner standing before God and that you cannot do anything to save yourself. And you are worthy of the death sentence that the just judge has determined for the wages of sin will be paid. It's either going to be paid by you because you refused Jesus Christ, or it was paid by him, and you receive his payment on your behalf, and you will accept the fact that his blood was enough to save you. His blood was enough to cover all of your sins and to bring you into a right relationship with God. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, calling upon him, and you then truly put your faith in him and in his blood alone, that it was enough to save you, then God will see that. God responds. God justifies you by faith alone, declares you righteous, and fills you with the Holy Spirit of the living God, who then can begin to teach and show you how to live the Christian life because now you're in a brand new family and you have a brand new life. Praise be to God. So he's established all of that. Then in chapters 9 through 11, he dealt with who we are in Christ and how we are one body. We are grafted all into one olive tree. The original Jewish people who did believe in Jesus are part of that tree. And we Gentiles who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have been grafted in. But it's one olive tree. We are brought into one family, one body. And so in chapters 12 through 16, He's showing us what that means in terms of daily life, in terms of living together as a church body, in terms of living in the world, 
and relating to government, relating to other people, etc. So all of that Paul is dealing with here. And we just dealt with the first part of chapter 13 in the last couple of episodes when we looked at what the Bible has to say about government. And if you'll remember, we were talking about when Jesus was given the question about paying taxes and the response of Jesus was key because it focused on the image. Jesus was asked about paying taxes and he said, bring me a coin. They brought him the denarius and he said, whose image is on this? And they had inscribed and etched Caesar's image on that coin. So he said, yes, give Caesar, Caesar, whatever Caesar's is due, because this is his image. But rather than you render to God what belongs to God, what bears his image, and that's people, that's the things that are important, that's the things that matter for eternity. And so we see how Jesus responded to that and gave us the principle and the clue, as well as the rest of the scriptures that we looked at in that, in those episodes, so that we could understand more about how we are to relate to government. Because Paul establishes here that government that is ordained by God is established for good purposes, not for evil and not for harm. And so we are to honor those things that are good for us in society and have respect for those authorities. And there comes times when that may conflict with the higher authority. And it's at those times that we choose to obey God rather than men, the apostles said in the book of Acts. So now we're moving forward in chapter 13, and we want to look at this topic of eight verses 8 through 10. And I want you to see something that really became fresh to me as I looked at this and as I prepared for this. Now, when you first read this, the first thing that jumps out to you is financial instruction here. Because he says, owe no one anything except to love one another. So he's talking about owing. He's talking about an actual debt. And he is talking about, financially speaking, things pertaining to money and debts and obligations. Now, we do need to understand the principles from the Word of God regarding money, regarding savings, regarding spending, regarding debt. And it is very important in this study, this lesson today is not going to cover all of those things. But I do want to bring out a couple of points. First of all, I want to read Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. In Proverbs 22, verse 7, Solomon, the wisest man on earth prior to Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, said this, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So we have to understand some things about finances and debt and borrowing money. Now, in saying this, it's not a condemnation thing. It's not a salvation issue. If you owe someone money, that does not mean that you are in sin or doing wrong necessarily. So we need to understand that. This is not meant for condemnation, but rather to help us understand the truth 
the intent of God, the best ways to live, practical things that will help us and will bless us. So we need to understand that there is a relationship that gets established when you borrow money from someone. And Solomon makes very clear here that it is a relationship of a slave to a master, so to speak. The person who borrowed the money becomes a slave to the lender. There is a bond, there is an obligation, and there is actually in the word, the Hebrew word that's used there, it involves the idea of being entwined. So there's a wrapping together, there's an entwining that happens while that debt remains. Now, in a best case scenario, all of God's children will live totally free of any debt whatsoever. Now, that's an ideal world to some degree. If it can be done, and if you are able to do that, do it, do it, do it. If you can pay off debt that maybe you're under right now, you can work extra hours, you can do a side job, you can save and cut back and, and spend less, whatever you need to do. Do it to get out of debt. There's wisdom in that. And you will then free yourself from that obligation. You will free yourself from that slave-type relationship. When someone else is a lender over you, it does bring you into an obligation and an a enslavement that God doesn't want us to be in. Now, as I mentioned, there's no condemnation. It's not a thing where you're doing wrong and you're in sin and you're, you know, you're condemned or doomed because of it. But what we're saying is, and what God's word is saying is that that's not his best for us. We can't live the free life. We can't live as blessed when that is a part of our life as if we were free from it. And God wants us to get free from it. So that's what the scriptures are saying. So practically speaking, Try to get out of debt if you happen to be in debt. Now, I know that most people have at least a debt on their mortgage, you know, mortgage on their home type thing, you know, large expenses that you might not be able to pay cash for. I understand that. But try to not get into frivolous debt. Try to avoid debt that is depreciative instead of appreciative in nature meaning like, for instance, with things that will depreciate in value versus those that will gain value. So those are kind of some ideas that God's Word gives us about debt. And there are many Christian, very godly financial teachers that can teach more about that. Some that I've heard about are Dave Ramsey and Ron Blue, I believe is the name of one, etc., some of these Larry Burkett used to have in Crown Financial Ministries, some excellent teachings on this. You can do studies through Proverbs and other places that will give much more guidance and practical help in those things. But what Paul is saying here is that God's best is that we would owe no one anything. And that should be something that we can strive toward. Sometimes you can pay off the debt. Sometimes you can get relief 
from the dead. As a matter of fact, that's another element of what Solomon tells us. In Proverbs chapter 6, I want to read verses 1 through 5. My son, if you become surety for your friend, in other words, if you get yourself obligated and you get yourself in debt, particularly as a co-signer, here is the kind of thing he's talking about. If you have shaken hands in a pledge, in pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself. For you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and from the, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So Solomon here is saying, when possible, plead with the person you owe. Try to work out some arrangement, a settlement, or something like that where you can get deliverance. And he says, give no sleep to your eyes. In other words, do it quickly. Don't, don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Don't take it lightly. So there is an encouragement from Scripture that we do our best to stay out of financial debt when possible. Pay what we owe, be truthful to our word, and pay off debt when we can, work out arrangements, etc., to try to live free of other debt and obligation. That's God's best for us. It's not a salvation issue, and it's not a condemnation issue, but it is God's best for us so that we can receive all of the blessings that he has for us. Now, what I want to do now, though, is focus on what is Paul really talking about here? What's his, his theme in this passage? Paul's main focus here is to direct us to the one obligation that every single person alive owes to each other, and that will never end. So Paul says... Oh, no one anything except this one thing. And then the rest of this section, he's talking about this one thing that everyone owes to each other. And that is a debt of love for one another. And he says, if he who loves another has fulfilled the law. This is a constant debt that every person owes to each other, and it is love. Love to one another. Love in action. Notice here he says, true love is born out with accompanying actions, attitudes, and deeds. If Love is real, it will be evident. This is true of love, the love of God. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave. He did something. He acted in accordance with how he truly felt. His love compelled him 
to an action that was self-sacrificing for the object of his love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him will be saved, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you see, true love always is evident by accompanying actions. It's true of love for God. The book of James makes that very clear. I I commend that to you to read that. James is not saying that we are saved by works. James is concurring with all of Scripture that we are saved by faith. But James's point is this. True faith has appropriate works that prove it. It's the same thing that John the Baptist said when people came to him, Pharisees and and religious leaders, and he said to them, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, prove. Prove that you really have a sincere heart. Prove that you have repentance because of what you do, not just these flowery words you say. And so we need to understand true faith has accompanying actions that prove it. And it's also true of love for one another, love for others. Actions prove it. You've heard the phrase, maybe the old adage, actions speak louder than words. And they do. You can say whatever you want to say all day long. But if there's no real proof behind it in terms of the the actions, it's not real. It's fake. It's phony. Every human being remains under this debt always. And it is, in essence, the main goal of the law. Paul quotes this verse here in Romans chapter 13. It's quoted in another place as well but I want to turn back and actually read it in the Torah. And it's found in Leviticus chapter 19. In Leviticus chapter 19, I want to read verses 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In other words, I'm expecting my people to do this because this is who I am. You must love your neighbor as yourself. The whole of the law can be summed up in that as far as relationships with other people. I want us to look a little bit further at that. I want to read two places in the Gospels, both of which are talking about the same event, but I want to read the two different accounts and bring out some specific points from them. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, it says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, talking about Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together. Then one of them, 
a lawyer or one skilled and well-versed in the law, the Torah, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now let me stop there for a minute. We know of the ten main commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai that were written in the law in the stones, in the tablet of stones. But there were 603, I guess, additional ones. The Jews believe there to be about 613 total commandments in all of the law. But this man, who was a part of the Pharisees, says to him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? What of these 613 is really the, the highest one, the most important one of all? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. In other words, the second one's right up there with it. It's just, it's just like it. It's very similar. It's important. It's up there as well in priority. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, taken directly from Leviticus chapter 19 that we just read. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I want to read this same from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34 says this, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard, him, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, and he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, the beloved Shema of the Jewish people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Quoting again from Leviticus 19. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he, meaning Jesus, said to him, the man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. You see, Jesus made very clear, first of all, he pointed out the beloved Shema, the truth about the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he pointed out how the summary 
of all 613 laws is summed up primarily in one word, and that word is love, and it's directed toward two places. The first place and the greatest of all is to love the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength and understanding, to love him with everything and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Jesus even gave a parable, the Good Samaritan, or a story. It may, it may have been true. I believe it was true, not a parable. But he talked about the Good Samaritan. When someone asked him, he said, well, who is our neighbor? It's everybody. It's anybody that we know. Every other human being, every person, anyone in need. And it's interesting here. I wanted to read this in Mark because in Mark, the teacher, the, the person that was skilled in the law, brings out this point, which is true. And this is why Jesus said, you're, you're on your way. You, could, you can get there. You're almost at the kingdom of God. You're getting the understanding you need to come and become a part of the kingdom of God. Now, we don't know who this man was. Maybe he became a believer later on. Perhaps he was one of the 120 in Acts chapter 2. I don't know. We can't say. But he did say this. He talked truly about how the essence of God's heart was not burnt offerings and sacrifices. The essence of God's heart was love one for another, treating each other properly. The burnt offerings and the sacrifices were a part of the worship of God, primarily pointing to Jesus who was to come as the fulfillment of all of those things out of God's great love for people to rescue them and to save them. But God was more concerned about love and obedience coming from our hearts than he was about some ritual and religious duty that was done with an evil heart in, inside of us, hating our brother or having a grudge against somebody and yet going to the temple and paying our, you know, tithes or, or putting a lamb on the altar and offering this for some sacrifice. No. God says, no, that's not what I want. I don't want hypocritical religious duty. I want it to come from your heart. I want true, sincere love and honor. And it's borne out by loving me first, God would say. God said in his word, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and body, and strength, and everything that you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's what matters to God. I want to point that out to you by looking at a couple of places from the Old Testament that also show us this. The first one is found in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. It says this directly, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And then I want us to look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we read where Saul, the king before David, had 
been instructed by God to destroy enemies, but he had spared the king of that enemy, and he had kept some of the things, and God had said, no, you destroyed all. Well, he didn't do that, and so Samuel comes to him, and in verse 14, it says this, but Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul had tried to tell him, yes, I obeyed God. And Samuel says, uh-uh, the proof is in the pudding. I'm listening and I'm hearing these sheep bleeding. They were supposed to be killed. Why are they still here, etc." So we come on down and Samuel has to rebuke Saul. He tells him, he says, for instance, in verse 17, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? And then he goes on and he warns him and he tells him, he says in verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Then he goes on down in verse 22 and it says this, so Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So it cost Saul the kingdom. He lost it all because he didn't obey the voice of the Lord. He didn't love God more than things. He didn't do what God wanted him to do. God's more interested in obedience. God's more interested in obedience and love from our heart. And Jesus made clear that loving God first and loving our neighbors as ourselves are the two greatest commandments of all and support and hold all of the other commandments. Do you see commandments one through four, some include number five in that as well, are toward God. I count one through four. Those are the commandments where we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. Those are the ones found that deal with our relationship with God directly, having no other gods before him, honoring his name, honoring and keeping uh, a Sabbath day, a day of rest toward the Lord where we spend time with God, loving him above all. Those first four commandments of the ten and commandments 5 through 10 deal with our relationships with people, our relationships with parents, and then the other five dealing with other people, not stealing, not lying, etc. So it's all wrapped up in those two commandments, those two greatest ones. And the one key above them all is love, true, sincere love born out with appropriate actions. I want you to also notice this. Jesus takes personally how we treat other people. For the sake of time, I won't read this passage to you, 
but I will note it and I encourage you to read it in Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 through 46. We've read it in other in other episodes in the past and we've referenced it before, but it is where Jesus is talking about a coming day when he will divide sheep from goats, a coming day when he will judge people based on how they treated others, particularly the Jewish people, his people. But Jesus even says in places, even if you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. He's talking about that there. He takes personally how we treat each other, how we treat other people. Jesus takes it personally. That's how much he expects us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So Paul summarizes this section in Romans chapter 13 in verse 10 because he makes very clear here that the key element, the element that everyone is obligated to have toward one another and which will fulfill the whole of what the law's intent was when we do this honestly and sincerely out of a heart of love for God and out of a true, sincere love for other people. Paul sums it up, and in verse 10 he says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love fulfills the law because that's who God is. God is love, we're told in the epistle of John, 1 John. True love is evidenced by deeds. We might say it's love in action. It does no harm to another person. And it fulfills what God expects and God demands because it is in concert with who he is, which is what his law reveals. It fulfills it through obedience to what God desired and meant all along. God's law is summed up in one word, love. True, sincere love. And it's always been this way. I want to close with these final thoughts and verses. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 through 11, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Then lastly, 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide 
in him. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Remember, love is the fulfillment of the law. When we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and when we love our neighbor as ourselves. And love does no harm to anyone. Therefore, it fulfills the law and is the exact representation of who God truly is. And it's summed up in us loving each other. Paul is saying here, that's the obligation that every one of us have always to each other. It's best if we owe no one anything else except that, and that we fulfill that by being good to each other and doing what is right one with another out of true, sincere love. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.